Welcome everybody to the show and uh, today we've got a special guest, Lavelda Vin... Is, uh, how exactly is this? It Vin it's Vincenzi. Vincenzi. Italian. I thought it was Italian, <laughs> yes. I'm uh, not Italian. It is not. Italian. Oh, okay. Maritime <laughs> Italian. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. And um, you're going to be talking about uh, many things in this podcast, including how to attract uh, paid speaking gigs. Uh, which we're all going to be uh, very interested in. So, but first of all, would you like to just tell us a bit about um, your story, how you got to be um, where you are today, what you're doing today and everything, and then just go on to, to yeah, talk about what you are actually doing. And how sure. And so on. I mean, how long have we got? Because I well, don't <laughs> the whole thing. I, mean, the I am that show, person. Uh, the whole show is about an hour. Oh, okay. So I probably shouldn't talk about traveling down a tunnel in the dark. <laughs> no, well, someone, my previous guest actually spent a long time on, um, you know, his early years. <laughs> so Let's jump to the important stuff. Okay, so yeah. um, I work as a, I, I've got two, well, several distinct parts of my business, but they're all pretty much interconnected. Um, so Primarily, I'm an international MC, moderator, and host, which is basically fancy terms for saying I get to travel around the world, boss people around, introduce people on stage, be the life and soul of the party. Um, I tend to do that for more sort of corporate gigs and business conferences because that's what I enjoy doing. Mm. Um, and in doing that, I got a bit aggravated once on somebody else's stage because I noticed I was introducing a lot of men, no offense, love men, beautiful people. <laughs> um, please nobody call in and start getting annoyed about <laughs> it. Um, but it, it did awaken my inner feminist because I grew up originally in the South Pacific. Um, and so I always grew up around a lot of diversity. Okay. And so for me to be on stages where, you know, there'd be this tokenized, here's a woman, or I'd be introducing panels and having really in-depth discussions about quite, quite important things. And I'm talking to a panel of men. And yeah. I thought, surely this is not a good representation of, I mean, it's not even a representation of who's in the room, let alone, sure. <laughs> let alone public <laughs> opinion, right? Yes. Um, and so it aggravated me a little bit. I wanted to find out what the reason for that is. Mm. So I did my own independent survey, if you could call it that, thanks Facebook, <laughs> basically a Facebook post, asked quite a few questions and um, the response that probably excited me the most or caught my attention the most was not the ones that said, oh, women, you know, they have imposter syndrome and, you know, it's harder and all this sort of nonsense. It was more the stories where um, organizers were telling me, look, it's just harder to find women. And I thought this I can do something about and that makes yeah. no sense to me. It sounds insane that mm. it would be harder to find a female speaker, a great quality female speaker versus a male speaker. I thought that's nonsense. So I pulled together a group called World Class Female Speakers because it needed a name and uh, started working with women to say, look, let's fix this problem. It can't be that difficult. They're looking for us. We're looking for them. Surely it can't be that hard to figure it out. And within a few weeks, I discovered the organizers were absolutely correct because when I would be working closely with women, especially women who'd started businesses, got a little taste of speaking and then thought, right, I want to launch myself into this professional speaking career because my story has such an impact, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the biggest problem was that they were so used to talking to their normal clients. So, so used to talking to their coaching clients, their consulting clients, et cetera that nothing on their website spoke to a speaker booker, nothing spoke to those people's challenges and problems. And so what would happen is they would pitch, but then 
when you did a Google search, what you found kind of didn't match the same picture. Right. That's assuming they pitched at all, because I then went on to discover that most of them don't actively look for any speaking engagements. Uh, I was like, oh, here would be the problem. Here would be the problem. You've spent all your time developing the skill of speaking, which I'm not um, discrediting. It's it's good to be good at your craft. Yes. But but being the best kept secret never got anybody paid. So (laughs) it just gets really frustrating. Yeah, you're amazing. You're really great. You're really great. And nobody's sending you a paycheck. So I now also work as a sales coach for female speakers because before I, before I stepped into this world, I worked in sales for like eight years. (laughs) So the idea of pitching and lead generation and putting myself forward and marketing and all of that sort of stuff was just something that made sense to me. I I mean, I did it for myself to grow my speaking business. So I now also teach other women how to do exactly the same thing um, in understanding the speaking industry. I've been an event organizer, I'm a podcaster, I'm an interviewer. So I've got a lot of those pieces, but fundamentally I love to interview people, um, spread messages, host events, be host for for events. And I like this idea of more diversity on stages. I've picked gender, but for me, whether it's gender, um, sexual preferences, sexuality, whether it's um, disability, I don't care. I just feel like when we've got high profile events, we should really have a reasonable representation of different backgrounds such that the messages that we're purporting are the things that people should be following are relevant to most people because it's come from various different perspectives rather than a single perspective, which yes, to me is I mean, just mind boggling. I, I agree totally. Okay. So let me backtrack a bit because you've covered quite a lot of ground there. So <laughs> I know, I know, I know I said, don't spend all, you know, a whole hour on your early years, but <laughs> you maybe went to the other extreme. Uh, otherwise we could just end the show now, but um, I don't want to unpack a bit. What so first of all, I think you just, you just quickly, um, mentioned that you were you're born in the South Pacific. Now that's quite interesting. Whereabouts in the South Pacific? So I was I was brought up in the South Pacific. I was a rich. I was actually born in the Bahamas. Oh, Bahamas, right? Yeah, my family are from the Turks and Caicos Islands. <laughs> I know. I have heard total of, eclectic mix. I have yeah. heard of those. Uh, where are they? Uh, they are in the Caribbean, tiny little group of islands, um, yeah. quite close to Haiti, that sort of area. Okay. Um, but we left when I was three years old, traveled all the way across the other side of the world. We lived in the Solomon Islands and then in Papua New Guinea. Um, so most of my formative years were spent in Papua New Guinea. I was there until I was 16 years old. Really? Yeah. So I grew up in international schools. I grew up with international, with an international background. My friends were from all over the world. Um, my father worked for the airline, so I traveled a lot. Oh, I was going to ask <laughs> what you what you. Avionics engineer. So I traveled okay. a lot as a child. Um, and partially you were because based I was a... in, why were you based in Papua New Guinea if you if you was into aviation? I mean, they don't have a strong aviation sector there, do they? That's or... that's just where I mean, they've got planes. They go to and from Australia oh, all the yes. time. Yes. Um, that's just where he ended up. I think okay. it was the first. He was looking to move. My mother found a job for him in the Solomon Islands. Like she knew where that was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know 20 something year olds I mean honestly the things they do um so you know I end up growing up on the other side of the world with a whack accent um which apparently is very good for international events I was going to say your accent I mean to me it sounds English but uh I imagine Papua New Guinea it's more sort of an Aussie accent they've got there is it so um my first school was an American missionary school so in some circles I can pull 
pull more of an American twang. Okay. And then um, because I went to international schools and because of the proximity of Papua New Guinea to Australia, a lot of my teachers were Australian or New yeah. Zealanders. Um, yeah. And so there was a point where I had a very strong Australian accent I because I had an Australian it. teacher. No, you mentioned it. Mm -hmm. And my sister had a really strong New Zealand accent because she had a New Zealand teacher. Okay. Uh, and then by the time I moved to the UK, nothing stuck. Um, okay. So, you know, I lived in Essex. Then I lived in the Midlands. Okay. Uh, I dated somebody for a few years who was from Bolton. So I ended up with this Northern accent. Uh, then I lived in Bristol. So it was like, war for a bit. Um, and <laughs> I've probably been in London the longest. Okay. <laughs> but now the travel bug has never gone. Okay. Now also, um, now this idea of going to an international school, do you think that's a good thing? I mean, I imagine it, it's got a lot of advantages because you mix with people from all different backgrounds. So maybe that's part of why you've got this urge now to be inclusive and to embrace diversity and that sort of thing. Do you think that's connected at all? I, th I think it has to be. I don't, I don't think it's accidental that that was my experience and now I have a very different view of diversity. Um, yes. I think you know, I didn't grow up, especially if you think of a lot of the stuff that's going down at the moment in terms of, you know, Black Lives Matter and that sort of thing. I didn't grow up with around racism. I no. grew up in a predominantly black country yeah. <laughs> where I happened to be, you know, in the wealthy spectrum because I was an expat for nothing else. Not that my parents were like, you know, born into wealth. They really weren't. Yeah. They left with like 50 US dollars in their pocket. So they didn't come from that. My father had a good job in an, as an expat and expats just tend to get paid well right. and so my travel you know my schooling was covered so I was at private schools just because mm. the, the company covered you know our education and so yeah. I lived my mum used to call us these poor little rich kids because I lived this lifestyle that I thought was normal <laughs> like I didn't know any different I thought yeah. everybody grew up like this yeah, yeah. Um, you know my friends were from Asia and America and Australia and Papua New Guinea you know my yeah. friends were literally from all over the world and I was always encouraged to to get involved and integrate with people so it was normal for me to be around people that were different like different was just yeah, the yeah. norm I didn't you know, in some ways I never grew up in that situation where I was in the same group of people all of the time. And, you know, the first time I recognized there was a difference, I'd moved to the UK and yeah. I went to a school where my sister and I were the first two black kids at the school. Right. And it hadn't occurred to me this would be an issue until we were sat yeah. in the headmaster's office and the headmaster <laughs> saying, don't worry, we'll look out for the girls. And I thought, why are you going to need to look out for us? <laughs> like, yeah. um, it was fine. Loads of black kids yeah. go there now, but at the yeah, time yeah. it was a big deal. <laughs> and this cool. was this was in the late nineties. So it wasn't oh, even like it was early, early days. I mean, yeah, it was, yeah. it was almost two, we moved here in 96, right. maybe it was 98. So it was pretty late in the nineties, but. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, it sounds like a, yeah, fascinating uh, childhood. And in a way I wish I'd have been to an international school. My schooling was a lot more boring. I just went to a, an all boys school and we were all white. So it was sort of the opposite really of uh, your experience. <laughs> But I wouldn't say it scarred me for life. But uh, so um, anyway, so he came back to England and then he started his career in sales. And then at some point you got into uh, public speaking, did you? And getting all these speaking gigs first as a host, hostess. Is that right? Yeah, it was. Um, it's nice to be able to have a really linear path. Mine was not that. Like it would be nice to say, oh, you know, I've always wanted to do it and I worked really hard. That wasn't the case. I was, I was the kid who liked drama and debate and, 
you know, didn't mind being on stages. I, you know, I've got a photo of me hosting an assembly for like 300 people at age 13. So I was wow. never that kid that was ever scared of being on stages. Yeah. But it's not as if somebody tells you you could get paid to host. <laughs> I didn't know it was a thing, right? Wow. You know, so I thought I should be an accountant or a lawyer or, you know, one of those good quality jobs that your parents are happy with. That's you what know? happened to me. I became an accountant. I did a degree in accounting, right? Okay. Um, people were like, you look too exciting to do a degree in accounting. I was like, I was that chick. Yep. I did a business degree in accounting and financial management. Right. I was bored out of my skull for four years, <laughs> which is not my thing. No. Um, I've always been fascinated with business. Um, I've always found it, you know, I used to play Monopoly for like six hours. I just always found it quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and initially I thought I wanted to you know, climb up the corporate ladder. I never went into a job in sales. I thought I was going to be doing management and I got conned into a sales job. Um, one of those mornings where somebody says, oh, Lavelle, I think it'd be good if you managed some accounts. And I thought, sure, no problem. How hard could it be? <laughs> uh, sneaky back route into sales. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, next thing I know, I've got sales targets and all sorts. I'm like, whoa. Oh, um, but it was great. I think the thing was I was never happy with the restrictions that I had in a nine to five job. I just wanted to sleep when I wanted to sleep and I wanted to travel when I wanted to travel. And I didn't like having to ask permission to go on holiday. That sort of thing aggravated me. That is amazing, isn't it? When you, cause I, I spent um, many, many years stuck in an office and it's amazing making that transition out. We have a lot more freedom to do what you like. To do what you want when you want yeah. to do it. And I, re I really wanted that. It took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do business in. And for me, um, hosting was this side thing I used to do for fun every now and then, right? So mm. it wasn't even a thing that that was a focus. I thought I was starting a coaching business. Um, and it wasn't until I would help out or I'd get, you know, be doing a charity gig or something. And afterwards, somebody had come up to me afterwards. Oh my gosh, you're so good. How much are you? And I thought, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, so people actually asked you that. So it, it, yes, yeah. it, it found me. Um, the big shift was when I would get found on LinkedIn. Occasionally I'd wake up in the morning and there'd be a LinkedIn message like, mm -hmm. hi, you know, we'd like you to come and host this event. And the big mm -hmm. shift for me was the first time somebody connect, contacted me internationally. Wow. And then I thought, wait a minute. So this is a gig with 3000 people. My profile doesn't say anything about hosting. Like there's some vague speaking stuff. So I don't know where, where you've even thought I'd be appropriate for this. Mm. It's not a small event. So I don't know why you'd be scraping the bottom of the, bar bottom of the barrel. So I must have a reasonable, um, there must be something about me that has you think that I'd be reasonably good at this. Mm. Um, you're going to pay for me to travel, pay for me to do this event. And I get to do something that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if I told people this is what I did. Yes. I wonder how far that would go. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how I ended up in it. At that point, I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to have a good crack at it. So I thought, what do I need? I you know, built a profile. I hustled something chronic at every event that I did. I asked for money. I started you know, building my own prospect lists. I would reach out to organizers. Like I just rolled my sleeves up and did what I'd learned from building previous businesses and what I'd learned from being in a sales team. Um, right. And I got really good at negotiating. So I didn't care if they told me they had no budget. I normally found some. <laughs> so great. So you did it, um, I suppose, the, well, the old fashioned way of, of not using the internet so much to promote yourself. It's more getting a prospect list, as you say, and contacting people. More I did both. Yeah. I did do both. Um, and the reason for that being that 
having organized events myself, when somebody said they wanted to come and speak, the first thing I did was Google them. And as an MC, the first thing I do with every speaker is I Google them because (laughs) I'm going to be introducing somebody. I want to get a sense of what they're like. Um, And so I thought surely organizers must be doing the same thing. So I recognize Mm. the importance of having a strong enough profile such that I wouldn't be losing gigs when somebody looked me up. And so what would happen is by the time I got to the end, um, normally by the time somebody gets on a call with me, they already know they want to book me. It's just a question of money. And the reason for that has been because I've spent so much time building my profile and really asking for a lot of things that some speakers who've been doing this for years just never got they you know they didn't have testimonials they didn't have footage of them on stage you know i have video testimonials written testimonials all kinds of video footage i have you know whether it be tv i have interviews i you know you can ask my previous clients like i i brought that stuff together in a way that i could showcase my talents because me telling you i'm good at what i do is just insufficient yes um for the nature of what i do it's when people when people discover it themselves doing their own research it's much more has much more power than if you're just saying it yourself yeah because they think they're really clever oh they found this thing about you and (laughs) so it's the absolute truth yeah so um, so brilliant so how long ago was that you started doing this uh, officially when I really pulled my finger out, probably about two and a half years. Okay. <laughs> so it really was quite quick. Yes. Um, I sat back. It took me a while to work it out. I was working for marketing lady. And at that point I was 18 months in and I'd, she said, so what have you done? And I sat down, I started reeling off some of the name events that I'd done and some of the names of people I'd worked with. And she was like, Lavada, that is nowhere on your site. And I thought, shit, that's right. Mm. Um, but it was only then that I got to realize that actually the process I'd used was quite effective in fast tracking what is otherwise can otherwise be quite slow. Um, especially in this space, you need to, you need to evidence what you do. Um, and you need to be able to demonstrate to people that they're in a safe pair of hands. It's, it's a lot for an organizer to hand over the front of house of their event to somebody else, which is effectively what you're doing. You be the face of the event. And so if I'm rubbish, like the whole thing just doesn't, sit together in the same sort of way um so it's helpful it's like booking a wedding band i think like if i'm it not going to book really, them if i haven't seen them, it like is it's... um the, the the host or hostess is probably the most important person at the event isn't it because they set the scene for everything they create the whole atmosphere and uh if they're like the linchpin so your two uh, as i understand it, your two main strategies were just hustling you know getting prospect lists contacting them word of mouth and then it was the other side was making sure that on the internet you had all this stuff, um, testimonials uh, and other social media assets and something uh, about you. So when they did research you, they'd find all this stuff. Yeah, I wanted to send yeah. them to a website and a LinkedIn page that said what I did yeah, yeah. and did that really effectively. And yeah. what I came to learn later on is that there's almost this point in a speaker's career where they feel like they've now, because they focus so much on um, the art form of speaking, they hit a point where it's like, now I deserve to be paid. Yes. But none of the marketing assets exist. <laughs> so it's oh, kind I... of this, this weird thing where it's like, you deserve to be paid, but on what basis? Like what, you know, you haven't built any of that stuff where I can kind of yes. assess for myself. Yeah. Whereas I did both. I mean, I was doing a lot of speaker training anyway. I kind of learned that I naturally understood how to read a room and time things and keep things to time. You know, so I was practicing while I was on stage and I was, I was honing that skill. 
Um, but at the same time, every time I got on stage, I, I really did look to see what else could I bring out of this event. Um, so the first event I went to in Paris, I, they didn't pay a huge amount. I mean, arguably it wasn't, it wasn't the best paid event I'd ever done, but it was the biggest audience and the biggest event I've ever done. And they've hired me. I've done three years with them so far. I'll probably be okay. doing next year again. They pretty much, I'm part of the furniture. It was their yeah, first yeah. event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They brought me back every year and I normally get the, um, you know, the big, the big parts of what they're doing, you know, Oh, this is an important one. We'll give it to Lavalda. Yeah. Um, so it's quite, it's lovely. But when I did that one, I thought, right, I have zero great quality video footage, even though I had right. a, a coach who was amazing and he said video everything yeah, um, yeah. he neglected to tell me that in the world of speaking it's not any it's not all video is not created equal so i didn't know this i just used to turn up to every single speaking gig i'd done up until that point i always had a camera yeah. a tripod no audio and like i didn't have any microphone i mean that oh, would be useful okay <laughs> so i had so i had hours and hours of rubbish footage right. <laughs> just like you know how am i going to tell people to you know, to pay four or five figures for me when they see this crap sure. <laughs> yes. done myself from the back of the room on a fuzzy old computer. Um, so I, I brought my husband along. We took a proper camera, yes, uh, a microphone. I got permission from the organizer and we hustled. I was like, this is a marketing piece. This is why I'm doing this. So when I got there, I left with 15 video testimonials, video footage of me on stage, um, be real footage, like walking into the gig, leaving the gig. I mean, all I was doing was freaking snapping and taking photos. I had business cards all over the place. I was networking something crazy. If I wasn't networking, my husband was out with my business cards networking on my behalf. I just thought I'm going to make this work. Like if nothing else, this is not just about appearing on the stage and doing a great job, which I did. Um, it's also about what else can I take from this such that every other gig I do is so much easier to get. So that, that was my first video footage. And that sounds you know, great. Okay. So let's, let's, um, so first we mentioned getting, entering the building, coming out of the car. I mean, is that, I mean, I think that's amazing. Cause I've started sometimes I watch these trashy reality shows and stuff like that. And I've noticed sometimes on those, you, you watch the cast members come out of the car and go in the building. And I just, just, I mean, of course, they have to get out of the car to enter the building. It's obvious they do that. But somehow just seeing them do it, it really ups them, you know, makes them think, oh, well, there must be a real celebrity if they've actually filmed that. So uh, it's all psychological, isn't it? And also, how did you get 15 testimonials? You asked people in the audience, did you, or other speakers? I, when I go to gigs now, I always have somebody with me because I am especially emceeing, yeah. I'm on the whole time. So yes. maybe if I was doing pure speaking, it might be slightly different because I can yeah. kind of do my content and then switch off and change modes. But I'm getting asked questions, things are always changing. I just cannot sit in both camps. Um, yeah. So I have a handful of people who are really great people, people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I give them a brief. It's like, I will pay for your flights and your accommodation. <laughs> this is me. Oh. It's covered. You come, yeah, but you're yeah. working, right? We yeah, stay yeah. for an extra couple of days, get an actual holiday. I've got a couple of friends. Sometimes my mom's like, can I come? I'm like, mom, it's a working trip. She's like, I don't want to come. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Where are you going next? Can I come? You can come. I'll cover it, but it's work. Mm. And they get a list. Like, here are the people I want testimonials from. Here's the camera. Here's the, yeah, yeah. Uh, your job is to get them. That's what you're here for. Get those testimonials. I need footage of me doing these sorts of things. I need photographs of me behind the scenes because I haven't got any of those or they're old. Yeah. Um, I also work with the organizer that I will pretty much always get photographs of me, the professional photos that the organizers have taken of me and the video footage of me on stage as well. They yeah. often take a little bit longer and sometimes 
for whatever reason, they don't appear. So right. I always have a backup plan. And cameras nowadays on phones are pretty good. Um, but I've learned over time, I give you a brief. Like, here's what's happening on the day. This is what I need. These people are priorities. Because, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I'm introducing a whole ton of people, but a handful of them are household names. Like, those are the ones I need you to hone in on. Those sure. are the ones where I need photos of me and them on stage. Like, yeah, otherwise, yeah. I'm telling people, but I could say whatever. But if yeah, I yeah. say it and I can show you a photo, it has a completely different meaning. Yeah. Um, so I just got very, very structured with that sort of stuff. I'm a bit militant, actually. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, you know, I kind of got it to business and, um, you know, the business, if all you ever did was focus on the product, but you never did any sales or marketing or promotion or any of that sort of stuff, it's harder for something to shift if you're relying purely on word of mouth. And sure. um, nowadays, word of mouth helps, you, helps get you in the door, but people still want to see something. Exactly. I mean, that's why I keep on telling all these businesses. I mean, I think in any business, any industry, this is my message I keep on trying to pound into people's ears. And I think I'm, it's falling on deaf ears, really. People, I don't know. I just like, think, would you ever buy a house you hadn't seen at all yeah. before just because somebody told yeah. you it was great? You'd yeah. want to see a photo or a video, but you wouldn't just say, oh, it's a great house and have like a verbal description and then drop your money on it. People well, don't operate like that. <laughs> no, I mean, it's obvious in the case of a host, obviously, yeah, you have, you have to, you definitely have to sort of see some video footage and photos and stuff like that. But I think any business like, you know, consultant or coach or accountant, like, it just really helps to get the face of the business out there on the internet so people could get a sense of them, get a sense of their personality, you know, if they like them or not. And so on, so. I mean, it does move things along a lot quick yeah. quicker. That's that old saying, people buy people. Exactly. They don't buy robotic, yeah. fancy looking, no. polished websites. They I mean, buy, they may be used that looks to, like a bit of personality. I mean, they may be used to in the old days, but now with social media and lots of people are getting on the bandwagon and they're getting all the jobs now. So uh, I think other people are a bit slow to catch up. So I just want to back to this one other thing you mentioned very yeah. briefly in the middle of all that. You said you did some speaker training. So I wanted to ask you about that. What speaker training did you do? Oh, I did speaker training with, it was like experiential speaker training. It's a guy called Clinton Swain. He runs a company called Frontier Trainings. Okay. Um, the most out there, like the, the most unique speaker training I've ever experienced before in my life. Um, it's all games, predominantly games based, lots of assessments, um, lots of costumes, lots of stepping out of yourself. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and it works for me because because I'd been speaking since I was so young, often yeah. when I'd go to do speaker training, I'd get really generic advice. Yeah. Um, and I used to find that quite frustrating, particularly for somebody who'd, you know, I'm kind of like, pick it apart. Tell me like a little nuance. Like I could have stood up that little bit straighter or my words could have been enunciated that bit better. Yeah. Or I could, you know, just the little things. Mm. And um, what I found that he was quite good at doing for me was it didn't matter the standard. He always had some extra feedback. And I really appreciated that because right. what I would find is I'd go and do these things and I'd come off stage and be, oh my God, you're amazing. And I'm like, yes, and <sighs> now what can I do? Like, how can I take it a step further? Like, mm -hmm. thanks for your, yeah, I appreciate the praise. I really do. Um, and at the same time, I, I like to keep learning and growing and getting that little bit better. And so I do appreciate mm -hmm. as well that little, you know, if you could just do that, that I know there's something else so that, 
if I look at footage of me today and I look at footage of me again in a year and it looks the same, I, I, I'm disappointed with myself. <laughs> okay, so you're still, so this is not the end point then, you're still hoping to get better and better. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. A, couple, a couple of years ago, I decided to go and jump into the world of acting. I was like, I'm going to go do some voice coaching or something. Like, I haven't right. trained in a little while. I feel like I need yeah. to, to do something different. Let me, let me do some voice coaching. So I now do a little bit of voiceover. Um, and that was nice to kind of understand a little bit more how the voice works. So I'm always looking for, for something where I can look back and say, oh, I could have done that a little bit better. Or, you know, mm. because otherwise, I think, I think there's always a risk when you you know, if you can get to a place where you're so comfortable that you stop trying. Well, I agree, because then you're just, yeah, you're sort of shutting down, but there's always room for improvement, isn't there? And also it's quite to grow and develop and get better is quite exciting, isn't it? I like it. I mean, it's yeah. uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable yeah. to a it just point. Gets, I, well, it just gets boring if you just sort of, um, yeah, rest in your laurels and say, that's it. I'm just uh, I've thrown myself into a few things. Let's do some stuff with auto cues. Whoa, auto cues, different world. <laughs> But that's easy. Auto cues are easy, aren't they? Uh, much easier. Just uh, yes and no. Auto cues yeah. looking like a human. Right. Okay. Right. Auto yes. cues looking as if you're not reading an auto cue because yeah. your eyeballs can't move. And <laughs> they've got a way they want it said. Yeah. Um, but yet you have to look as if these were your own words and you're just speaking them normally, even though you're reading them. And that's a skill in its own right. So it's been... Yes. It's been fun to dabble in different parts of the speaking industry. Many people see it as just the stage, um, but coming from an acting sort of background, if I could call it that, I, I can see the beauty of the acting side and the commercials and TV and talking to camera in that sort of way. Anything that requires voice, I'm like the more versatile that you can be, um, the better, right? Yes. <laughs> you just one trick and your trick goes out of style. You've got a problem. <laughs> Well, and also, of course, with the COVID thing, I suppose, a lot of your events have been cancelled. So yeah, do, do pretty much all of them. Yes. <laughs> do you do them by Zoom? Is that, or you um, I've done it? a few sort of webinars via Zoom. Um, yeah. During COVID, I focused my attention on my website I was really upset with. It needed a revamp. So wow. that got revamped. Um, my agents have been on me to send them new stuff. So I'm in the process of getting that stuff over to them as well. And where I was traveling so much, the coaching side of the business, some of the, let's just say, some of the stuff that makes it easier to do things on the go just wasn't there. Um, yeah. so, so it's been nice actually having the time to do things like sales funnels and think about the pages and relook at that sort of stuff, which is quite difficult to do when you're traveling and still delivering to clients um sure. and often a lot of my clients are like i just want to be like on the road like doing lots of speaking and i think if your current business at the moment is through one-to-one -one work how the heck are you going? i'm not saying it's not possible but just understand it's a it's a different setup to manage a volume of speaking engagements at the same time that you've got existing clients because yeah. every time you move that's time zones and meeting movements and you know, yeah, we're supposed to meet every Thursday, but it turns out I'm on stage that Thursday. So yeah. <laughs> just the, the removing of meetings every time you book something in um, yeah. and understanding the time that you need to just block out for travel and recoup. Because yeah, yeah. um, I, I, as much as I love the stage, I need two days off immediately after I've done. Well, it must be exhausting. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have to, I used to try to avoid factoring those in and it just doesn't work. I'm just better off taking two days out, yeah, yeah. relaxing, and then I'm back ready to go fully. Okay. Sounds great. So I'll just, um, share my screen.
uh, and let's have a look uh, at, at your websites with that you mentioned. So that's your that's your LinkedIn page. That is me. <laughs> and it says there, uh, yes, international moderator, MC, host, sales coach for female speakers, and speaker. Uh -huh. So yes, so it's interesting. I do quite a bit. <laughs> you do quite a bit, but it's interesting. You don't. You, you're not a coach for men. You've, you've made it clear that uh, you want to stick to this particular segment of the market. I enjoy working with women, and yeah. um, I mean, people have said, "Why don't you work with men?" I'm like, they're doing all right on stages right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, they they seem to get a pretty good head start. Um, kind yeah, of figure yeah. this out pretty easily by themselves. Uh, there's there's lots of spaces for that. I don't personally. I don't see a problem with niching. It's my oh. passion. I want diversity on stage, um, and diversity means the people who aren't currently predominantly taking up the stages. <laughs> them. I want more of them. <laughs> I mean, that, it just makes sense, doesn't it? Everyone's always saying you should niche down anyway, because uh, if you're too generic, people won't want you. Won't want to hire you. No one will want you. But if you niche down to something a bit more specific. I think my thing. Oh, I'm a woman. Yes, I'll I'll hire her to coach me. So um, this is your website. That is me. This is what you've been working on. That that is it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks great. And it's just all it's all on one page. It's a one page site. So it's a, it's a funnel, is it? Uh, no, this isn't a no. funnel. I just I am not in the business of overcomplicating things. No. And. Um, and to me, it has everything that it needs to have on a single single page. Yes. So I don't know why I need to add 15 other pages if one will do. Exactly. I think often people get, um, you know, I have a ton more testimonials. Could I put them all on another page? I have over 100 testimonials. Um, I could put them all on another page. Yes, I could put a ton of video elsewhere. But to be honest, most people aren't clicking through every single page on your site anyway sure. um, it's got everything that it needs on there um and i'd much rather get on a call and talk about somebody's specific requirements than to spend years putting multiple pages on a website but it will expand um you know the podcast has to go on there and a number of other things but yes i was going yes because i did i did find your podcast but it's not actually linked from here is it not at the moment got, uh, not at the moment it, the lavelda show dun, uh, dun, dun. <laughs> Yes, now that's you see. I was because I've got a podcast, and I'm, I was um, I suppose I was a bit shy about naming it after me, the Keith Griggs Show, because uh, I mean some people do call call their name their shows after themselves, don't they? I know there's a Rachel Maddow show is one example, and I think it's actually a good idea because really is you are the host of the show, so you have to be there. You couldn't sort of get someone else to fill in, for so it just makes sense. And it's I don't know. My sisters friendly. were like, oh my gosh, Savalda, really, you called the show your name. And I went, why not? Oprah did it. <laughs> Oprah and Ellen and uh, Ricky Lake. I mean, there's a few of them, aren't there? So, uh, the people yeah. who name their show themselves. And I said, and furthermore, there are very few Lavelda Vincenzi's. So honestly, it just makes, why would I not work the Google algorithm? Right? <laughs> like, let, yes. let Google do the hard work so I don't have to. Um, exactly. They still think it's a little bit conceited. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting. Also, you put the niche as entrepreneurship, uh, women of power podcast. So I don't know what options you've got there. Maybe because it's uh, is it more about speaking or is it is all about entrepreneurship? You're asking people about. So um, the women of power podcast is not a speaking podcast. Actually, okay. the reason I did it is because what I notice is that often women can feel quite intimidated by other women 
just right. by people in general, to be honest with yes. you. It's like, oh my gosh, look at what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I also noticed that sometimes it can be quite, it can take more work, you know, back to this idea there are fewer women out there who are, who are on these big stages. It can take more work to find women who are doing the same things that we're doing. Mm. And, and so therefore most of our role models tend to be men, yes. <laughs> you know? And so, and there's a, there's a distinctly different energy to a man than a woman, yeah. um, especially a man fully in his masculine to a woman fully in her feminine. Sure. And often what happens is if you're looking at predominantly male, um, role models, you'll end up emulating something that might, might start to take you away from your true North because you just got different energies. And so the show was more about, um, talking to powerful women, uh, some of whom who's, you know, some of bigger names or they're celebrities in their own right and unveiling the true source of their power. So we talk about what they do, who they are, but fundamentally the show is kind of pivoted around a single prominent question. Um, and the question that I ask every single guest is, if I were to take everything that you've done to date in your life and business and literally boil it down to three core things that you would say have been pivotal to your success in life and in business, what would they be? And it's really a discussion around what makes a woman powerful and the different variations of power. Um, Mm. Because I simply don't believe in this idea that there's one way to do business. I feel like um, especially in the realm of business, there's, there are some ways that are pushed a lot. And, mm. and I, for one, started thinking I needed to hustle and do all this hard work. And I am a hustler, but I'm also highly spiritual. So when I'm not hustling, um, when I'm not taking inspired action, it's hardly hustle because I don't like doing anything that feels too much like hard work. Mm. <laughs> like it's got to be fun and it's got to be interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm very much for journaling and waiting and feeling into things and seeing how that sits with me. But mm. for the longest time, it felt like the most bizarre thing to be talking about in a work context. That's, yeah. that's not doing, it's not creating anything if you're sitting there dreaming it up and manifesting. Um, mm. But I, I also kind of get, look, listen, uh, if you sit down and hum and a hum and it doesn't just fall into your lap, at some point you actually have to take some action. Yeah. <laughs> it's the energy behind the action that's important, but you do actually need to do something. <laughs> yes. These things didn't happen because I didn't do anything. Like I showed up and I was very strategic and I thought about stuff. I just had a lot of fun and had a good plan that was right for me. It might not be right for somebody else. Um, but it took a while for me to personally get to a space where I can assess something and say, that's a good idea for you. (laughs) You just would not sit with my personality and that's not to take anything away from how you do things or to say that that's wrong. I just know that for me, um, certain things that work really, really well for me aren't going to work for other people. And just because it's worked for you doesn't mean this is the only way to do it. Because if I can't see myself in that, um, then I'm going to have a problem with delivering things. My husband and I, for example, work completely differently, like total opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. He's like, the father, you sit around the house all day doing nothing. And then all this stuff comes to you. Like, how the hell does that work? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of, kind of doing nothing and sort of actually doing a lot of stuff as well. I just have conversations in a different sort of way. I couldn't do it the way he does. Right. But if he does, if he tries to sit down and do my way, it just, nothing happens in his business. <laughs> it's totally yes. different. Okay. It's so totally you mentioned, um, yeah. So you have to do like, uh, you do a lot of things as well. Obviously you have to take action. You can't just sit there and not do anything, but you also mentioned uh, you had this spiritual side and you did journaling. 
waiting i think and feeling into things yeah I think the three things you mentioned yes yeah, so i wanted to explore that a bit so is that to do with mindset with creating the right mindset for things to sort of manifest so that gives you the sort of confidence to that it will happen and that sort of helps you take action is, does that I, I think there's a real fine line with mindset stuff like i can see right. i see sometimes the teaching around mindset is like force yourself to think different to how things are right now and i'm yeah. kind of like look, we're not stupid. There's yeah. no money in the account telling yourself 50 times that's going to be money in the account. It's not yeah. going to make money be in the account, right? Yeah. <laughs> like at some point, it's about being comfortable with being in an unknown place, like being with the reality and also knowing that you're completely not with it at the same time. It's like a, yeah. it's a special brand of delusion that I think every entrepreneur needs to have, which yeah. is it's all a mess right now to your untrained eye. But to me... Yeah. <laughs> And I think every entrepreneur has got to have it to a point because if you didn't, you wouldn't do this. Like it's, it's crazy that you, you know, sit and create something out of nothing that you want to achieve something that from where you are right now today looks like an impossible dream. Like you kind of have to be able to sit with those sorts of things. Yes. I just think, um, especially if you come from a corporate space where things have been quite structured. Yeah It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that there is a right way to do business. Right. And I've kind of got to see there's my way to do business and my way to others might look like it's lazy. It might look like it's too laid back. Um, it may look like at points it's a bit pushy. Um, it may look energetic, but it's my way. And I found that anytime I'm okay with the result and okay with showing up a hundred percent as me. Um, and yeah, I think yeah. that's part of what came out, what comes out of the work that I do with women. Yeah. I don't, pretend to be anybody else anymore like sometimes i'll swear in my social media posts my mother gets very annoyed about it she's like the builder is so uncouth yeah and i'm like but that's me right yeah. <laughs> whether you meet me on a podcast or you meet me on the stage it's me right i'm gonna dance i'm gonna have my up days i'm gonna have my down days if i'm speaking to a client and they ask me how i'm doing and it's been a crap day i'm gonna tell them it's rubbish like today is not a good day yeah. it doesn't mean i can't deliver it doesn't mean i can't switch it on it doesn't mean i can't park it but i'm not gonna pretend pretend like I'm having a great day. If it's rubbish, I'm going to tell you it's a crap day. Like this stuff just happened over here, life of an entrepreneur, but we're here now. And I'm here to make sure that you get the results that I promise that you're going to get as a result of working together. Um, and I think there's a lot of, especially with social media, pretending. Exactly. <laughs> I, no, I agree totally. And um, I, I really hate it as well. And it's something, and also I've done a lot of courses sort of how to make money on the internet or how to sell things, how to market. And it's a lot of it is about being fake and like, um, I've never, and also my previous career as an accountant, when I went into an office, I had to, you know, put on a suit and tie and pretend to be this professional person where I didn't really feel very professional underneath. You know, I just felt yeah. um, me, it's just me. So, um, my whole life I've sort of been had this sort of fake persona and it's only relatively recently that I discovered that actually to just be authentic and be myself a is a lot more likable people tend to like me more because I've got a bit more personality and character and also it's a lot more relaxing as well and also it's just it's just much better for business as well so it's a game of, you can't lose at like how exactly. can you lose <laughs> at being yourself I'm just exactly. kind of like you just cannot lose at this game like no. the only way you lose is if you don't show up but if you yeah, show yeah. up 100 percent, you you can't yeah. lose so if you're all about winning like this one you can win <laughs> yeah yeah and I think that's where a lot of businesses go wrong 
uh, still because they're still stuck in the old way of doing things like they have to be professional and just um, you know present this image and sell to people and that and also they try and hide behind their website you don't see the face of the person and that sort of thing it's all it's all i think it's based on fear isn't it fear of and know, and that to me that's the work it's yeah, yeah. it's being okay with showing up as a hundred percent of who you are all the yeah. time and that is the scary work to kind yeah. of go the reason i'm not doing this is because i feel like somebody's not going to like me my yeah. light bulb moment and the one of the big pivotal points actually in my career i was emceeing an all women's event the same one that actually ended up having me go off and do coaching to be fair because i was on the stage and had a moment where i was like what do you mean you guys you women don't want to show up <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh in the break i knew the lady i know the company that did their um av and a good friend of mine from way back when i was doing training was on the av desk and i said oh girl can you put on like a decent song because mm. these ladies energy is like really draining so i think we're just gonna ramp up the song and mm. i remember the song i had the clip and it was like such a pivotal moment she put on um you know fireball right okay and um so i'm on the stage i am lost in my own little world because i love dance so i am going nuts my eyes are closed right mm. i'm going nuts i open my eyes and this chain of ladies has formed and their legs are going out and you know it's like a freaking party in this house yeah, yeah. and i just thought this is actually me doing yeah, yeah. me yeah, right a hundred percent doing me there was no my shoes were off when i was off stage because my feet were killing me yeah. and i just it was just me doing me and i had so many inquiries off the back of that um you know, I made brilliant connections. I got my first book speaker booking agent off the back of it. I just showed up and it was mm. like, darn Lavelda, all of this time you've been emceeing professionally. <laughs> and, but Lavelda's <laughs> professional looks different. Lavelda's professional has fun. I'm always on, you know, I'm on time for my speaking engagements. I'm fully prepared. Mm. I do my research. That's mm -hmm. professional, right? Yeah, but yeah. when I'm on stage, I get hired for energy. Sure. That's what they like. And well, that's what, what I like need. doing. <laughs> it's what people need because a lot of, I mean, I've been to a lot of conferences and events and they can get a bit boring sometimes. So just have someone come along and wake you up a bit. That's actually a really good thing. Have a little bit of fun. Yeah. And it's more fun for me that way. I don't have to pretend. I mean, I've, I got books. I got booked for one corporate gig. And I remember saying to my agent, did they see my showreel? <laughs> like I'm looking at the company. It was, um, it was a, it was a gala event, all events. And it was like this political gathering. And I was like, really? They were me. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you did send them my reel because I don't want them thinking they're getting something different. Like I don't want to show up and now feel like I've got to be a different sort of person. Yeah, That's yeah. not who I am. Yeah. Um, I can adjust. I mean, we're not going to be doing dancing in the same sort of way, but I, I'm that person who's going to bring a little bit of fun and flair because that's, that's what I like to do. And I get it's not for everybody and it's not appropriate for every stage, but it's Lavelda. Like that's, that's what you're getting if you book me. Um, yeah. And she said, yeah, yeah, they looked at it. And I was like, okay then. And they were really stoked, <laughs> like, yeah. like super stoked. I think there's this misconception that if you're somebody other, if you're more professional and you pull it back, that you get more gigs or you sure. get better, you get, you get more clients. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion, I've got better quality clients. I genuinely love working with the more I've just been myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a real game stress. changer, isn't it, once you yeah. start doing that? 
So we've got about um, 10 minutes left or so. So do you have any advice to, or like a general advice to people? What would you, what would you say? Do you have like words of wisdom? (laughs) So many, so many words of wisdom. I thought you would have. Um, I think it's important to remember that in business, you've got sales and marketing and Mm. both of them are required. I think sometimes in this digital age, it's easy to hide behind creating content and doing doing the marketing side of things and forget to do the sales side and they're both important it's not one or other well this Um, is i mean another way of of framing that is the thing about branding uh and compared to direct response ads and you know trying to get people to do a certain result click on that and but the other thing is the marketing they're just creating this whole aura which is what you were talking about before where everywhere they look they can see your brand or something that reflects you yeah I think there's one main thing to leave people with is do you, yeah. um, the best business you could look, there's not, this isn't a one size fits all. Here's the way to do business. There are some principles, right? If you don't sell anything, you don't have a business. That's just a principle. You kind of have to, you have to have something to exchange for value, a monetary value in order to have a business consistently, or you don't have one. If you don't have clients, you don't have a business. And there are some principles that sit behind it, but how you sell and who you sell to and what your sales process looks like, that's for you to decide. There are core components. You need to contact people and yeah. you need to ask them for a sale. Now, what order you do that in, do it in a way that is authentically you and it's always easier, always yeah. easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you're working with anybody and they're telling you that there's like, this is the only way to do it sure. and that doesn't resonate with you there. I mean, the only way it's going to resonate is if you want, if you are very similar personalities with very similar gifts, mm. but if your personalities and your gifts are quite different, you doing them is like when you were five and you stepped into your mum's high heels and walked around the room. That's what, that's what that is. It just, it's clunky at best. (laughs) It just doesn't work. Um, So do you, do you and be proud of doing you and be successful at doing it your way. Cause that's when you actually get to live the entrepreneurial dream. When you get to have the freedom and the, uh, the revenue and the clients that you really desire and do the things that you really want. But if you start building a business, doing things, contrary to what you'd love to do then you end up building a business you don't love it's a choice sure yeah and what's the point in that um so um if people want to work with you so your website is uh lavelda.com <laughs> which is so that was i was that's one of the advantages of having a, an unusual name isn't it i am i am ridiculously easy to find i'm lavelda vincenzi on all social media platforms it's a silly name it i'd say it's a, silly name. It's a beautiful <laughs> name but it's yes. you know seoable for a reason so lavelda is love l-o-v-e and then l-d-a just drop it into Google. You'll find me on YouTube. You'll find me on Instagram. You'll find me on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I'm better on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Twitter is my nemesis. Like my, as far as I'm concerned, my genius is not supposed to be consolidated into so few words. <laughs> yes. I have, although I have been looking at your LinkedIn, uh, your Twitter page actually, but um, I agree. It doesn't really work for me either. I think YouTube is, YouTube and Facebook are the way to, and LinkedIn. I get most of my business off LinkedIn. That's how we met on LinkedIn. Yeah, I love uh, LinkedIn. So, so out of all the platforms, which one do you get most clients from? Uh, it depends on what type of client you're talking about. Right. Speaking clients in LinkedIn, definitely. Um, I have never got a speaking engagement from the other platforms from somebody I didn't already know. So okay. I've got referrals through Facebook, um, but never a 
um, directly, directly through Facebook. It tends to be they've connected on me on Facebook and that's where it's come from. Um, but I've always got referrals through LinkedIn. Um, Instagram and Facebook are more, tend to be more my coaching clients. Um, yes. And at the moment, I'm having a lot of fun playing with Instagram. It's my new little fun place to be. Okay. <laughs> and that's my YouTube channel. I was going to ask you about um, your coaching clients. So do you do group coaching or is it all one-to-one? Uh, I do a combination of group and one-to-one. Um, okay. So if it depends on the client. I mean, some clients are like, I want to go at my own pace. And I'm like, cool, we can do that. Uh, I have my fine speaking gigs accelerator, which is actually the page is literally just up today. Uh, Worldclassfemalespeakers.com. Oh, okay. So this is a new website. Yeah. So I got a link to from here. So I'll go to it here. Shall I? So what's yeah, worldclassfemalespeakers.com forward slash f s g a dot com forward slash f s g a fine speaking gigs accelerator okay and that's literally just gone live about 20 minutes before we jumped on here so that's ready to go hot off the press um so this is my signature three-month program for for speak female speakers who are ready to get on more stages so i teach you what i did that got me on stages in 18 months um, not just got me on stages, got me on international stages, got me testimonials from people like, um, uh, Paul Pullman, who's the ex CEO of Unilever gave me a raving one recently. Mm-hmm. Um, um, got me interviewing people like Monica Lewinsky on stage. Oh. So that is ready to go. Um, you know, there's a link on there. You can either jump right in or you know, click on the apply button and then we can have a good, a good chin wag. There's low, there's loads in there. So that's how you okay. go and book a call, have Just a chat. A yeah. 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 looks great. Um, that's great. Well, it's been lovely having you on the show. Uh, I've learned a lot and I've also been um, very inspired. <laughs> so, um, you know, I don't think I would be an international host like you but uh but it has inspired me to just get a bit more out of my comfort zone be a bit more visible be a bit more myself and so on so um and just sort of try and ramp up the numbers try and reach a bigger audience with this podcast and my other social media assets as well so and it's been a blast of energy as well so <laughs> and i'm sure that's our viewers will be in yeah that's right <laughs> so yeah hopefully a lot of people a lot of our viewers will find this extremely useful so yeah so stay in touch and you know hopefully at some point in the future you'll come back on and we'll see how your career's progressed and what you're doing um what you're doing then how you've expanded uh everything i'd love to i'd love right to then. maybe i'll be dialing in from a different country because we'll be able maybe to travel again <laughs> yeah that'd be good when that starts happening okay then uh lovely to speak to you all the best bye bye lavelda ciao ciao